Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this time together as Mishpacha, for uh, this opportunity to be able to open up your word and to dig into what you have in store for us today. Father, I pray that you speak through me today, that it be your voice heard, your words received, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, transform our hearts that when we leave this place today, we will be uh, a uh, even greater image and likeness of your, uh, of your image of what you've created us to be as we go out into the world around us, that people will see you for, foremost and forefront in our lives. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray, and everyone says, Amen. So as we look at this week's Parsha, we're in Parsha Shoftim from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18 through 20, ver- 21, verse 9. Um, this is a Parsha that's kind of chock full with all kinds of stuff. We with the discussion of the judges and uh, kind of a judicial system in Israel uh, and to some degree kind of a law enforcement type of aspect uh, that is there. Uh, we move into discussion of how justice is to be divvied out depending on what in particular is going on. And we talked about this during Q&A this morning. For those that may not know about it, have missed uh, on our website or on social media or whatever, uh, we have a time of Q&A every Saturday morning from 9.45 to 10.15. This is your opportunity to come with any questions you have about Messianic Judaism, about the Bible, about the Parsha for this week, about whatever, and I'll try my best to answer it. And if I don't have an answer, I'll either make it up or tell you I'll make one up next week. But either way, um, no. But this is your opportunity to, to take part in that. But we talked about this a little bit this morning in, uh, in Q&A, kind of inadvertently, but it's really interesting as we look through this Parsha, right? Um, we often are looking at the, the, the Bible with this 21st century um, kind of Christian mentality, if you would, of there being, and I've talked about this before, of there being kind of this, this Old Testament God who is judgmental, who is vindictive, who is angry, uh, who is, is going to kind of crash down on us when we mess up. And then we have the New Testament God who is loving and gracious and caring and forgiving and merciful and, and, and yada, yada, yada. Um, but what's really interesting is if you actually rip that blank page between Malachi and Matthew out of your Bible, um, you know, there, there's always that blank page there in most translations. You have a TLV or a CJB, it's not there. But in most other translations, there's a blank page between. Just take that out. It's just in the way. Because what it does is it's intentionally put there to dichotomize the old versus the new. As though there is a such thing as old versus new. The reality is, is there is God's word. And either all of it is God's word or none of it is God's word. From Genesis to Revelation, it is all God's word. And none of his word comes back void and unfulfilled. So that means that whatever's in the Tanakh is equally being fulfilled as whatever is in the Brachadasha in the New Covenant writings. Uh, and, and there's no verses aspect. And so when we look at the totality of Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, he is one and the same God, and he is both just and merciful. And we don't have to understand it. We just believe in it. And any of us that are breathing right now are taking advantage of the fact that he is both just and merciful. 
Because every one of us in this place today, every one of us watching online, every one of us that may eventually listen to this message at some point into the distant future on accident, I promise you we have messed up somewhere along the way. And we deserve every ounce of judgment that God has against us. But the beauty of it is, if we call upon the name of Yeshua Mashiach, if we call upon the name of our Messiah, we will be saved. And as Galatians says, the, not the law was hung to the cross, but the Greek says that the bill of charges were hung to the cross. The bill of charges were what he took care of for us. The things that we are accused of by the accuser of, of the brethren, the accuser of, the, of men, the, the enemy, uh, Hasatan, the adversary, the things that he stands uh, before God and says, hey, Rabbi David did X, Y, and Z, and the Lord's standing there going, blank page, I don't, I don't have nothing on here, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, that is what was hung to the cross, not God's word, but the, the reality that we have been unfaithful to his word. So as we look at this week's Parsha, it's interesting that we see in this Parsha this uh, idea of both just, justice and mercy combined together. And we talked about this this morning in Q&A of how we see the idea of capital punishment is discussed here, right? If you're committing a, a crime, if you're idolatry, that's one of the big ones discussed right here in this Parsha. If you're committing idolatry and the nation of Israel and somebody sees and it's made known of the nation of Israel, they are to take you before the priest and the, 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 the accusers, the, the witnesses are to stand there and witness against you an accusation and they get to throw the first stone. For some people that know me, they might be a little too excited to be that guy and throw that stone. But the reality is, is very few of us are ever going to want to be that person. We got no problem with saying, hey, dude, you messed up. But we don't be the, be, want to be the one that goes, hey, dude, you're messed up, so have fun and lob a rock at him. The reality is, is that in the Torah is this idea of justice and mercy combined together. Because from Genesis to Revelation, as a matter of fact, from the foundations of creation and even before the foundations of creation, through eternity, he is one and the same God, and he is both just and merciful. And so as we look at the Parsha, we see this discussion of justice and uh, this discussion of how justice is to be carried out. And in it, there is this room uh, in there for mercy to be provided. So it gives opportunity that if you witness somebody sinning, you can go to them and go, hey, sorry, Chris, I'm going to call you out. Hey, Chris, dude, you are seriously messing up here. And, and I know you may not care, and I know it may not be a, you know, something that's affecting, but dude, it's messing up everybody else too because everybody's watching you. And what's the witness that people are seeing in your life? Because everybody else is watching you. And it's an opportunity for us to be a part of God's restoration in their life. To bring them back in restoration. Now if they continue on and continue on and continue on, then at some point we have to carve them out of the community for the health of the community. And that is what the idea of capital punishment in the Torah is there for. But if you pay attention to the, the scriptures, there are very few times that we actually read of there being evidence of this occurring in the nation of Israel. It doesn't mean there weren't any, but there's very few times that we read of it having occurred in Israel. So it's important that we recognize that we serve a God who is both just and merciful from the foundations of creation through eternity itself. So if you have your scriptures go ahead and open up to Deuteronomy chapter 18 beginning with verse 15 I promise this all comes together I think uh, Deuteronomy 18 verse 15 says Adonai your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst from your brothers to him you must listen verse 16 this is just 
what you asked of Adonai your God at Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, on the day of the assembly when saying, I cannot continue to hear the voice of Adonai my God or see this great fire anymore or I will die. Adonai said to me, they have done well in what they have spoken. I will raise up a prophet like you from among them, uh, from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to me, to them, all that I have commanded him. Now, whoever does not listen to my words that this prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. It's really interesting as we look at this and we go forward to Jeremiah and you can go back and read through Jeremiah to see this. As we go forward to Jeremiah, what we recognize with the prophet Jeremiah, first and foremost, Jeremiah had a pretty awesome job already waiting for him because Jeremiah was part of the Levitical order. So he had a pretty awesome job awaiting for him as it was, yet God calls him out and says, I want you to do something different. I want you to be a prophet. And he begins to kind of debate with God. Anybody had one of these debates with God? You know, that's cool, but no. <laughs> Not now, not going to do this. He begins to debate with God, and as he's debating with God, uh, he, he says, look, I'm just a kid. I'm, I'm a nobody. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody wants to hear from me, so pick somebody else because I don't want to do it. And God says, it's too bad. Don't let anybody call you a kid. Don't let anybody look down on you. And hey, by the way, don't look down on yourself either. Here, I put my words in you. Doesn't give him a chance to argue anymore. He just puts his words within him. And so Jeremiah is a type and shadow of the prophet that is being spoken of here. He's not the prophet that's being spoken of here, but he's a type and shadow of, because it says that he would, the, that Adonai would place his word in this prophet, and this prophet would speak his word to the people of Israel. So in Jeremiah, we see kind of this instance of this type and shadow of what would come. Now, as believers, we recognize who this is speaking of. It's speaking of Yeshua Mashiach. It's speaking of Yeshua Messiah. And when Yeshua was immersed by Yochanan Hamadil, by John the Immerser in the, the Jordan River, the very first thing they see as soon as he comes out of the water is the Ruach HaKodesh descends upon him. This is very literally a reenactment, if you would, of the word being placed upon Jeremiah as it goes into Yeshua. Now Yeshua, he is God himself robed in flesh, right? Just because Yeshua was walking in human form doesn't mean that he was devoid of his own spirit. It was there. But this was for the nation to see the reality of his words being placed upon him, just as we read about in the prophecy here in Deuteronomy 18 in this week's Parsha, Parsha Shoftim. He says, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their, their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. Now, whoever does not listen to my words that this prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. As we move forward to the Brachadashah, and we'll come back around to some of this in a minute, as we move forward to the Brachadashah, we, we see in the Brachadashah, in the New Covenant writings, the, the New Testament, as it's often called, that there is numerous accounts and times in which this prophet like Moses is brought up, but is brought up by followers of Yeshua who recognize who he was and are calling out to the nation of Israel to understand that this prophet has, in fact, come. So if you go to Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 1, Matthew 11, verse 1 says, When Yeshua had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their towns. Now, when John heard in prison about the works of the Messiah, he sent word through his disciples. This is John the Immerser, John the Baptist, as he's often called. This is Yeshua's cousin, who is now in prison, who is hearing of the work that the Lord is doing through Yeshua in the nation of Israel. Verse 2, now when John heard in prison about the works of the Messiah, he sent word through his disciples and said to Yeshua, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And what he's asking here is, are you the prophet like Moses that we've been waiting for? 
Yeshua replied, go report to John what you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, those with Zarat are cleansed, and deaf, uh, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have uh, good news proclaimed to them. Blessed is the one who is not led to stumble because of me. And then we read about this prophet without an honor and, and how he's uh, rejected within his home hometown. We go forward to John chapter 1, verse 43. It says, the next day Yeshua decided to go to the Galilee. He finds Philip and says to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, and uh, the same town as Andrew and Peter, Philip finds Natanel and tells him, we found the one that Moses and the Torah and also the prophets wrote about Yeshua, Nazaret, uh, Yeshua of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, Nathaniel answered, can anything good come from there? Philip said to him, come and see. Yeshua saw Natanel coming for, toward him. He said, to, said, look, a true Israelite, there is nothing false in him. Natanel said to him, how do you know me? Yeshua answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the tree, I saw you. Rabbi, Natanel answered, you are Ben Elohim, the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, you believe? Yeshua replied to him, you will see greater things than that. My page jumped on me. Give me just a second to hunt back down where I was. There we go. Uh, you will see greater things than that. And he said, Amen, amen, I tell you. You will see heaven opened and the angels of God going up and coming down on the Son of Man. So Philip runs to, his, to, to Natanel and he goes, Hey, we found the prophet like Moses. We found the one that the prophets and the Torah speak of. We found the prophet like Moses in whom the word of God is placed. Come and meet him. And Natanel's response is, Dude's from Nazareth. What could, what, what could he possibly know? Does anything good come from Nazareth? There's no possible way. Acts chapter 3, verse 11. While he was clinging to Peter, this is just after uh, Peter heals the, the lame beggar. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people together came running toward them in the place called Solomon's Portico. This is at the temple. But when Peter saw, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Yeshua, the one you handed over and disowned before Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life, the one God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of it. Now, through faith, in the name of Yeshua, his name has strengthened this man whom you see and know. Indeed, the faith through Yeshua has given this man perfect health in front of you all. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders did. But what God foretold through the mouth of all the prophets, that, this, that his Messiah was to suffer, so has fulfilled Repent, therefore, and return, so your, si your sins might be blotted out, so time of relief might come from the presence of Adonai, and he might send Yeshua the Messiah appointed for you. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all the things that God spoke about long ago through the mouth of his holy prophets. Moses said, Adonai, your God, will raise up a pro for you a prophet like me from among you, brothers. Hear and obey him in all that he sa shall say to you. And it shall be that every soul that will not listen to that prophet shall be completely cut off from the people. Indeed, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel on have announced these days, you are the sons of the prophets and also of the covenant that God cut with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God raised up this servant 
and sent him first to you to bless you all by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So here, Peter describes to them that Yeshua is the prophet like Moses that was spoken of in the Torah in Parsha Shoftim. That Yeshua is this very one, and not only is he the Messiah, but that they pushed him away, they renounced him, they denied him, and they chose to take a murderer in his place when they were ready to let him go. But the reality is that wasn't the end of the message. Because the rest of the message was, but as long as you recognize who he is and accept his salvation, there is restoration and renewal for you. There is forgiveness for your sins. What's interesting is this is Peter speaking to this crowd of people who are objecting or, or at the very least are shaken by the reality of what they just saw happen before them. And Peter is saying, you rejected Yeshua, and that's why we're in this situation in the first place. But what's interesting is the man who is speaking, Peter himself, is a perfect example of the very restoration he's preaching to the nation of Israel. Because the reality is, is when Yeshua was arrested and when he was being tried, Peter denied him just as well as anyone else. As a matter of fact, there's not a tremendous difference between what Peter did and what Judas did. The only difference is in, the, is in their response. Peter ultimately made Teshuvah. He repented and returned. Judas didn't. I have no doubt in my mind that had Judas simply stuck out a few extra days, had Judas simply went back to the disciples, had he simply waited around for Yeshua's resurrection, I have no doubt that Yeshua would have welcomed him back in with open arms, just as he has you and I. Because there's nothing that Judas or Peter did that you and I haven't done because every time we fall short of the glory every time we sin every time we turn our back on the Lord we are denying him we are denying the truth of who we have been recreated in the image of we are denying the truth of who we were created in the image of in the very first place and we're denying the truth of the reality of the restoration and the salvation of Yeshua Mashiach we go forward to Acts chapter 7, verse 35. This is Stephen's testimony before uh, the, the Sanhedrin, just before they get ready to, to kill him, or rather before a mob, just before they get ready to kill him. And this is one of my favorite passages in all of Acts, because here we have Stephen, this man that we really don't read a lot about, but yet he's this great man of faith who's standing here, and they, they ask him, do you have anything to say in your defense as they're accusing him of being this you know, horrible traitor to Israel, et cetera, et cetera? And they said, do you have anything to say in your defense? And he goes, yeah, yeah as a matter of fact, I do. How much time you got? And he starts back at the beginning and he relays and recounts the entire message of God's work of redemption from the very beginning up to where he stood right then and there. And in verse 35 of chapter 7, he says, This Moses whom they reject is saying, Who appointed you as ruler and judge is the one whom God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and at the, right, at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years this is the Moses who said to Bnei Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers this is the one who was in the community in the wilderness with the angel uh, Sinai and with our fathers and then he goes on to talk about how Yeshua is that very same prophet like him and what we end up seeing if you pay attention to this narrative from Stephen's testimony is here's this kind of nobody that pops up on the scene in the story of Acts that we really don't read a lot about in the Bible and he's just having this exuberant moment of faith as he's expressing the reality of the gospel 
before these people that are ready to kill him. He's looking death literally in the eyes, and he's not afraid. Instead, he boastfully proclaims the good news of Yeshua HaMashiach. And at the very end, they begin to stone him. And if you pay attention, they stone him, and at the end of the passage, the men who stone him drop their cloaks at the feet of a very auspicious individual and await for his approval of what just happened. And that person is Paul, who just two chapters later becomes a believer in Yeshua and becomes one of the greatest voices in the first century for the reality of the gospel of Yeshua HaMashiach. And I honestly and wholeheartedly believe that it was through Stephen's message it was this one random occurrence that we read about Stephen's powerful message, this one random occurrence that he shares his heart with those that are about to kill him boldly in spite of the fact that he was about to die, that the Lord softened Paul's heart just enough that two chapters later, when Paul meets with Yeshua on the road, that he's able to understand what is happening and recognize the reality of who Yeshua is and turn his heart in repentance to him. And how many millions of lives since have been changed because of that single message of Stephen in which Stephen proclaims the one whom the prophets foretold of, the one whom Moses said would come as a prophet like Moses has come. See, it's important that we look at this during this period of time on the Hebrew calendar because we're in the middle of this period of the seven weeks of consolation. Tishabab, as we spoke about last week, Tishabab, a few weeks back when the temple was destroyed both times, and the nation of Israel is in mourning every single year on Tishabab. The, the Jewish people are in mourning every single year on Tishabab of the reality of the destruction of the temple and the understanding that it was because of our sins and our rejection of the Word of God that allowed and caused it to occur. And so every year as Tishabab rolls by, we finish up Tishabab and we immediately begin the following Shabbat to read the seven messages of consolation from Isaiah, in which Isaiah this prophet who speaks over and over and over again about the impending doom on the nation of Israel says from Isaiah 40 basically through Isaiah 60 don't worry if you merely turn back to Adonai he will forgive you don't worry if you merely turn back to Adonai he will restore you don't worry if you merely come back to Adonai he will bring you back unto himself and over and over and over again, in these roughly 20 chapters, we read this message of consolation, as we call it today, in which the, the prophet Isaiah says, God is going to restore you, is going to renew you. As a matter of fact, Isaiah also says, if you simply turn back to him now, everything that he's speaking through me will be stayed. Israel does not at that point. Unfortunately, all of those things come about and become reality. But in this week's Parsha, uh, Haftorah Parsha, Isaiah 52, uh, we read, beginning with verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces shalom, who brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, who says this, I and your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they will lift up their voices. Together they are shouting for joy, for they will see eye to eye when Adonai returns to Zion. Break forth in joy, sing together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for Adonai has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. 
This is a prophecy of what Yeshua would do as the redeemer of the people of Israel, of the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and through whom he would fulfill the reality of the call of Abraham, which would be that the nation of Israel would be a blessing to all of the nations on the face of the earth as we bring the gospel, the good news, the besor of Yeshua to all mankind. And what's really interesting here is that uh, traditionally speaking in Judaism today, we read basically Isaiah 40 through Isaiah 60 in the seven weeks leading up to Rosh Hashanah between Tishbab and Rosh Hashanah, but there's this nice little sliver of Scripture that's carved out of the seven messages of consolation, and there's actually a historical reality that we used to read this as part of this period of time, but there's this interesting little segment of Scripture that is carved, unfortunately, rather conveniently right out of this passage. So this week's Haftarah Parsha ends traditionally with Isaiah 52, verse 12. Next week's Haftarah Parsha begins with Isaiah 54, verse 12. If you read this section between Isaiah 52, verse 13, and Isaiah 54, verse 12, verse 11, it speaks boldly and specifically about Yeshua HaMashiach, about the one who is the prophet like Moses that would be raised up in whom the words of Adonai would be placed. Verse 30, uh, 13 of chapter 52, picking up right where this week's Haftarah leaves off. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was disfigured more than any man. His form more than any than the sons of men. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what had not been told them they will see. And what they had not heard they will perceive. Who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of Adonai revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty. What we should look at, what we should look at him, nor beauty for, uh, that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our pains. Yet we esteemed him str stricken, struck by God and afflicted, but he has pier was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. The chastisement for our shalom was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way. So Adonai has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, like she a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. Because of oppression and judgment, he was taken away. As for his generation, who considered? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. The stroke was theirs. His grave was given with the wicked and by a rich man in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased Adonai to bruise him. He caused him to suffer. If he makes his soul a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the will of Adonai will succeed by his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied by his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, will make many righteous, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I have given him a portion with the great, and he will divide the spoil with the mighty, because he poured out his soul to death 
and was counted with transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. See, what's painful is the reality that within Judaism today, we're encouraged not to read Isaiah 53 on our own. Because if we read it on our own, we might actually understand what it's saying and what it's talking about. We're encouraged to only read it when our rabbi is there to tell us what it, quote-unquote, really means. In aspects of Judaism today, what is very clear in the text is a discussion of an individual who will suffer on behalf of many. In aspects of Judaism today, we have reinterpreted this to say that the nation itself is the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, suffering on behalf of itself. All because... We closed our eyes to the reality of who Yeshua was, who he is, and who he will always be. He is that prophet that is spoken of in Parsha Shoftim, the prophet like Moses upon whom the words of Adonai not just are placed, but in whom we recognize is the word of Adonai who tabernacles amongst us. He came and offered his life so that those who are dirty and despicable and mired in sin would have an opportunity to be restored to the God of all creation in spite of our errors, in spite of our mistakes, in spite of our disdain for Him. He desires nothing more than to restore us in faithfulness to Him. And as we read through the Torah, as we read through the, the Nevi'im and the Ketuvim, as we read through the Brachadashah, what we see over and over and over and over and over again is the cry of our Heavenly Father simply yearning for His children to return in faithfulness and repentance to Him. And He says, if you just come back to Me, I will forgive you. And I will restore you. As a matter of fact, I have already made a way for you to be restored in me. So you got to understand, Yeshua wasn't an afterthought. Yeshua was the only thought. When God created, Yeshua was already a reality. When God created, he knew that you and I were going to sin. He knew that Adam and Eve were going to decide to eat the fruit. By the way, the first sin wasn't Eve eating the fruit. It was Adam shirking his responsibility as the spiritual head of his household to protect his wife from the accuser. For centuries, we've taught it wrong. But the reality is, is God knew what they were going to do. He created us specifically so he could redeem us. There wasn't a plan A, and God realized he must have messed up horribly and had to throw a plan B together. There was only God's plan. And his plan was always restoration. It was always redemption. It was always salvation in Yeshua Mashiach. And that's why in Deuteronomy 18 he says, Adonai, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brothers, to whom, uh, to him you must listen. This is just what you asked of Adonai, your God, and Horeb on the day of the assembly when saying, I cannot continue to hear the voice of Adonai, my God, or see this great fire anymore, or I will die. They have done well in what they have spoken. Adonai said to me, they have done well in what they have spoken. I will raise up a prophet like you from them from among their brothers I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them all that I commanded him 
not only did we reject the voice of the Lord, but the Lord, voice of the Lord, the, the Lord had already planned out a way in which his voice isn't something we simply hear from a mountain. But instead, this prophet that he speaks of, which is Yeshua, the word made flesh now resides within us. And just as Jeremiah, we see that the word is placed upon him, Jeremiah 31 promises that his covenant would be written upon our heart, his word would be written upon our heart, so that we can see the reality of his restoration. And because that word, which is the prophet, which is Yeshua, the word made flesh now resides within us, we no longer have to be afraid of some fiery presence upon the mountain. But instead, we hear his voice from within. We are led by his voice from within. And you and I have the opportunity by the salvation of Yeshua to be used by him to allow his voice to speak through us in the same way that he spoke through Moses and through David and through Isaiah and through Jeremiah and through Peter and through Stephen and through Paul. He is placed within us as followers of Messiah Yeshua the opportunity to take part in the reality of being the mouthpiece of the prophet like Moses in whom he would place his word. If you were here this morning or if you were listening to this online and you do not yet realize and accept the reality of Yeshua as your salvation. Today is the day. Because he has longed for you to be restored to him since before the foundations of creation were ever laid. That has been his single desire was for you and I to be restored to him. That we can be renewed in his image and likeness that we were created in. Today is the day because we don't know how many we have left. And I'm not just talking how long we have to breathe. I'm talking we don't have that many days left before Mashiach returns and his feet land on Mount Zion. His feet land on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives split in two and the world recognizes that he is here. Today is the day because he wants to speak through you to impact your friends and your family and your co-workers and your classmates and every single person you come into contact with. Today is the day because he wants nothing more than to wrap his arms around you as his prodigal child as we read about in the Gospels. Today is the day because he created you. And he created you distinctly and specifically for this moment to see his love to receive his embrace, and to recognize his salvation. Avarachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for being a gracious and forgiving God. Father, we thank you that in your justice is mercy and forgiveness. Father, we thank you that you desire nothing more than for us to see the reality of your salvation that you desire nothing more than to see all Israel proclaimed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, that you desire nothing more than to have relationship, intimate, personal relationship with your creation. And Father, we thank you that you have given us opportunity to partake in that. Lord, I ask that as we go forward from this place today, that you will renew us in your likeness and in your image that you will renew us in faithfulness to your word and to your word made flesh, which resides in our heart. Father, I pray that you will renew us, that we can go forth and impact the world around us with the truth 
of your salvation, Messiah Yeshua, with a restoration of the reality of the fullness of your word, not done away with, but continually and eternally alive and breathing within us. Father, we thank you that you love us so much, that you created us so that you could give us your only begotten Son, that when we believe in him, we will have eternal life in your midst. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray, and everyone says, Amen.